Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory, to live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Octa non verba is a Latin phrase that means actions, not words. If you want to know what somebody truly believes, don't listen to their words. Instead, observe their actions. I'm Marcus Aurelius Anderson, and my guest today truly embodies that phrase. Gavin Meenan is a leading voice in the Irish health and fitness community. A former European powerlifting champion, he has personally helped hundreds of people achieve life-changing results. Having impacted over 100,000 people with his unique message, Gavin is now expanding his platform into the men's coaching space with the goal of helping men everywhere build stronger minds, bodies, and lives. This has been his main inspiration for writing and publishing his two best-selling books, Stronger Mind, Stronger Body, Stronger Life, and The Art of Self-Acceptance. He's also got a third book that he's underway right now, and we'll talk about that during the conversation, I'm sure. This also inspired his incredible podcast, The Modern Warrior, which I was lucky enough to be a guest on. His personal life, he has overcome struggles such as childhood bullying, trauma, convictions, addictions, and redundancy. He's now on a mission to help all men overcome their challenges and move forward towards a life of fulfillment and success. Gavin, I know I put a long string on that kite, but I wanted to give everybody an idea of who I'm talking to today. Thank you for being here and for your time and for all the work you're doing with men. It's an honor, Marcus. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, you were nice enough to have me on yours. And anybody that I connect with on a podcast that really has a, a, a powerful message and I feel is really representing what they talk about that has actions, not words. I always want to have them on. So thank you for doing that. And we talked about how adversity is this thing that is omnipresent and how we're all going to go through it. And we talked a little bit earlier before we hit record about how the importance of telling our stories is, is there. But before we get into some of your story, I'd like to know the people that you're coaching, you're coaching in groups and you have this like powerful community of men and often cut from that same cloth will be some of the same problems that they run into. Can you tell us some of the problems that you see in men that they are continually running into, that they are just maybe not taking the accountability necessary to actually solve on their own? Yeah, they're running into these problems because they're not facing the underlying struggles that they have within. So it's like what we said earlier, that avoiding adversity creates more adversity in your life. In the world today, there is so much opportunity for distraction and for escapism from our underlying difficulties and struggles and we have a phone in our pocket 24 7 and we could take that out any second of the day and distract ourselves from whatever may be coming up on the surface from those times when we're alone or those times when just a little bit of boredom starts to seep in and you get quite uncomfortable it's like go back to the soother go back to the comfort, pick up your phone, scroll through your social media, distract yourself with these images or distract yourself with this porn site or distract yourself with chatting to your friends or listening to music, whatever, YouTube videos, it's all there. So I think the the reluctance or the avoidance of spending time on your own 
is creating a, a lot of loneliness in today's world for a lot of men. Irony. They don't want to be alone yet. That makes them even more lonely, right? Yeah. Well, I think they're consistently escaping their true selves or they're ignoring their true selves or suppressing their true selves because for that to come up, you know, their true identity is where those traumas or those difficulties or those struggles are attached to. And the difficulties of relationships in the past, the betrayals of the past, the hurt, the pain, the trauma, small T trauma, big T trauma, whatever it is, all these things that they're ignoring is creating a, a disconnect within themselves, I feel. So, and this disconnect is, is, is quite lonely and quite isolating. And then they're looking to connect themselves to other things outside of themselves. As I mentioned, the porn sites, the drink, the drugs, the gambling, the affairs, the women, all these things. And all they're ever doing is just running away. And when we're in that place of boredom, when we're in that place of looking into ourselves, lots of times we don't like what we see, which is the whole reason why we distract ourselves with this other pacification with an electronic pacifier, so to speak. But yet, we have to eventually look at those places, right? We have to look at the stuff below the surface, the ugly stuff, the, the warts at all, the scars. Why do we continually kick the can down the road and just think, I'll look at it tomorrow? Well, because it's painful, isn't it? I mean, it's our brain's default is to avoid painful situations, be it physical or emotional pain. And that's something I did for many years of my life was run away from that pain, distract myself and you say that, yes, at some point we have to look at it, but I think we get to a point where some of us perhaps get to a point, maybe not everybody, everybody gets to a point, but I certainly got to the point where I had no other choice but to look at it. I was either look at this or else, you know, there's, there's no other choice here. This is what you are presented with. And this is, this is the result of your, of your avoidance of the pain or the avoidance of the adversity. This is now the result of this. Your life is in complete turmoil, chaos. You're about to lose everything. You've lost yourself. You wake up in the morning, you don't know who you are. So, Gavin, maybe it's time to change direction here and begin to look within instead of continually looking for things outside yourself to numb the pain. So tell us a little bit about the background and what led to your place of not being able to turn a blind eye to it any longer. Yeah, well, I'll go back to an experience which was a profound experience in my life. And it was when I was 18 years of age and just finished my first week in college, heading out in the big bad world and cultivating this life of independence and freedom. After school, leaving home, first week in college, free, young, wild. And I came back home after that first week. Some of my friends hadn't started their their college or the university yet so i took my dad's car which i would frequently do so and went for a drive in the car and usually my dad's advice or my dad's wishes were that i bring the car back after 10 minutes okay just go over there and get whatever you need and come straight back home but i'd often abuse that and went off and i picked up three of my friends and we went for a drive around the town and and on my way back home I picked up a bit of speed in the car and crashed into an oncoming car. And that was quite symbolic because that was also the beginning of the destruction of my own life. Because what happened in that experience was 
the car that I crashed into, the lady who was driving that car, she died on the scene immediately. And yeah, once I seen her in the car, I knew she, she was gone. So my whole life just fell apart in that moment at 18 years of age. And that happened on a Thursday and went through some of the most difficult days of my life over the next few days wakes and funerals and just trying to deal with everything along with that having the police come to my house and tell me that I was going to be convicted for dangerous driving causing death so I could potentially go to jail as well for what I'd done which at that point I didn't even consider for some reason that I was in actual real big trouble it was probably just too overwhelming everything that's going on I was still trying to come to terms with what had just happened this was 24 hours afterwards so here was the response and this is where the running began the running from adversity the running from pain as this happened on a thursday and of course this is a very unique and a very out of the world experience it's not something that happens on a frequent basis thankfully and it's definitely not something that you would ever think would come to your own doorstep or happen in your own life and I, I lived a life of ignorance back then as well and reflection i thought i'll be okay i'll be fine this happens to other people this is you know this never happened this never happened to me until it does so nobody really knew what to do with me 18 years of age just started college and their advice and their recommendation or the majority of the advice advice recommendation that i got over those next few days was to get back to normal life as soon as possible So. Happened on a Thursday and I was back in college and trying to live a normal life by Tuesday. So understanding that my college, my university was two and a half hours away from my home place. So that in itself offered an escapism for me, an escapism from the community, an escapism from all those reminders, an escapism from the people in the community who I'm pretty sure at that point were judging me, criticizing me, hating me. For what I'd done, I was certainly hating myself. So this was my own perception of how other people would have felt as well. And that was my journey for the next 10 years of my life. I have never lived at home since I was 18 years age of age. I've, I've visited home and for 10 years of my life, it was very difficult for me to go back there because I had to drive past the scene of the accident every time I go back home and every time I pass the scene of the accident it would be like a kick in the stomach but i ignored it and i went through college four five years of college of drinking myself to complete blackouts on a consistent basis developed a very unhealthy relationship with porn used any means of distraction to disable the potential of that pain or the trauma come to the surface even as I reflect back I wasn't even able to go to sleep unless I had my headphones in and had some music playing so no opportunity for silence or for peace and that continued for 10 years of my life until eventually it became too much and my porn my unhealthy behavior around porn became a full-on addiction and my daughter was born when I was 26, again, during a period where I hadn't even come to terms of what had happened with the car accident. And I think my daughter being born was a pivotal moment in my life where I began to take full responsibility for me 
and my difficulties, my anger, my sadness, my guilt. And as well as that, I think my daughter being born began to change my perspective on the situation around the accident because understanding too is that the lady who died in the car, she also had her son in the car who thankfully survived. And he was three three years of age. So now I was a parent, just as she was a parent. And much of my perception and perspective around the car accident shifted from focusing on her to focusing on him and wondering, how's he doing? I wonder, does he hate me? I wonder how he feels about me after what I had done. Understanding too, Mark, is that you know, for 10 years of my life, more than 10 years of my life, I continually hated myself for what I had done. And although I would meet her nephews, who became his adopted brothers, on nights out, the odd night out when I'm home, and they come up to me and say, hey, Gavin, you know, it was just a, it was just an accident. You know, we know that you didn't do that intentionally. That could have happened to any one of us. Me or my brother could have taken a car. We could have driven the car. We, and it could have happened to us. We know you didn't mean it. That, to me at the time, just went over my head. It's like, uh, oh, yeah, thanks. But what I actually wanted them to say was, yeah, Gavin, we fucking hate you for what you've done. How could you do this to us? You should be completely ashamed of yourself because that would confirm how I felt about myself at that point. So, but again, understanding that I ignored all this, I pushed it away. I continued to use drink to suppress the pain. I continued to use porn. I continued to use distractions. Until, as I said, it got too much. And over the period of time after my daughter was born, maybe a year or two after my daughter was born, I really started to take stock in my life. And I was approaching the age of 30, which might have been quite significant as well, potentially. So, But what happened was I started to clean up my act. I stopped drinking. I stopped watching porn. I started to actually read books and began to cultivate some time of peace and time for myself during that during those years and the more I did that the more painful it became and the more guilty I felt the more ashamed I felt the more hurt I felt around the accident but also mostly around him her her son and I I felt an extreme amount of guilt for what I had done to his mother and a stream amount of guilt that I took his mom away from him so that got too much and I remember just leaving the gym one evening and I couldn't take it anymore and I, I reached my phone and I googled a counsellor and I, I rang her up and I said look I need to I need to speak to someone I'm, I just I can't do this anymore so that began a process of 12 months or so of weekly counselling which helped certainly helped for a period of time but after 12 months of finished with her and I realised that the work wasn't done there there was a lot more to go so a year or two afterwards, I started speaking with a psychologist and we uncovered more and more of these pains and traumas and difficulties, not just from the car accident, but even before that too, which has really allowed me to become so aware of myself and to know myself better and to be able to make better decisions now as I progress through life and to establish this connection with myself again and to ultimately have a level of compassion for me and my younger self. So you have forgiven yourself? It's a process, Marcus. It's it's something I need to visit on a frequent basis. And 
sometimes it comes up where yeah i'll reflect back in the car and say fuck you know i should have i should have i shouldn't have done that or i should have maybe spoken to someone about my difficulties before that or my anger before that because as i reflect back to i was driving that car quite aggressively which to me would illustrate that i was quite an, an angry 18 year old and maybe angry with my father and i use his car as a way to somewhat punish him and yeah there's there's so many layers beneath that that i've only recently come to discover that all of these underlying issues from my childhood ultimately led to that crash and that's why i say it's such a symbolic experience in my life of course completely tragic and traumatic but it was quite symbolic in terms of my whole life and everything just kind of come crashing down on top of me that period understanding too like after 10 years i was able to take those pieces and start building my life again but the process of, of forgiving myself is, is something i have to uh work on, on on a consistent basis i still think about her son and as i mentioned i went through a period of 12 months of counseling and i thought yeah i'm done here now i'm, I'm good and Throughout that 12 months of counseling, the only thing I remember, the only experience, the only session I remember, actually, the only sentence I remember is her asking me if the deceased lady, who I knew quite well at the time as well, if she could speak to you today, do you think that she would forgive you for what had happened? Knowing that she knew you and she got on well with you and you quite a good relationship and she knew that you know, this is not something you would have done intentionally. Do you feel like she would forgive you for what you've done? And it, that question certainly floored me. And it took me a few moments to to answer that. And I said, yeah, I think I think she would forgive me. Again, knowing how well we got on. And maybe that was one part of the process. Maybe I could have forgiven myself for what had happened to her. However, several years later, actually probably only three years ago i was on a golf course with my brother and we were walking towards one of the tees and i look up and there's two guys about the tee off and one of those guys was her son and yeah i just i couldn't couldn't face him couldn't couldn't look him in the eye and i could feel him looking at me i'm sure he knew who i was and that's this is the first time we've ever seen each other obviously i seen him at the accident this is the first time i've seen him since and couldn't bring myself to to look him in the eye and that's when i realized yeah gavin the work's not done here yet maybe you've come to realize that she would forgive you maybe maybe not but i'm not too sure if he forgives me so and ultimately i couldn't forgive myself because i couldn't look at him in the eye and connect with him and I was afraid of what I might see in his eyes. I think that's what was going on there. And again, that it would maybe confirm something to me that, yeah, Gavin, I don't forgive you. Or yeah, Gavin, I hate you for what you've done. I was afraid to to see what his eyes would, would present to me in that experience. And that's when I, that was actually in the middle of a process where I was already speaking to a, a psychologist on a weekly basis and that was a pivotal moment where I realized that, yeah, it's not done here. And I've also come to accept that it may never be done. Even if he did turn around and told me that he forgave me, 
I would also, I feel, have some hesitation around that in terms of, is he just saying it? Is he just, you know, does he really mean that? Is he afraid of maybe a bit of conflict between us or something else? But understanding that, yes, all this comes back to me. And I do have practices every day. I have the journal every day. I've, I'm, I'm quite intuitive in terms of how I'm feeling and I'm quite in tune with my emotions now, given the practices over the last few years. And when those challenges do come up, I'm able to process them in such a way that I can either let it go or change the narrative to serve me instead of allowing it to hold me back. And how is your self-talk about that accident now? How is your self-talk in regards to him? I think you kind of told us what your narrative was, but is that still true? I would no longer look back and hate myself or I would no longer hate myself for what I've done. It's taken me a long time and I think only over the last year, I think only over the last year I've heard this word compassion, to be honest with you. And I thought, compassion, self-compassion, what like what the fuck is that? What, what does that mean? Uh, because I've always been very critical of myself. I've always beat myself up. I'm always evaluating my work and my progress and saying, no, Gavin, okay, you've done this, but you could do better. And again, this is an inner narrative that's been there since childhood. That's a whole other debate. You know, the continual criticisms or continual judgments or continual expectations from parents or teachers, which have ingrained this, this inner critic. So that voice that inner critic gets a lot louder when something of such significance happens in your life and you understand that there that you understand in that moment that you are and I was 100% responsible for the death of a woman I was 100% responsible for a child losing his mother and yeah even saying that is is difficult at times and this is where the practice comes in of forgiveness and looking back and seeing my and speaking to my 18 year old self and saying, Gavin, you know what, man, there was so much going on in your life at that time. I didn't have a great relationship with my father, was somewhat disconnected from my parents as a whole. I had underlying trauma at that time that I hadn't even realized going way back to earlier childhood. Nothing of such significance as the car accident, but there's still things there. And even an absent father in the home, my first three years of my life, I was living not just with my parents, but I was living next door to my grandmother where my aunties also lived and a couple of my uncles. So like I had this big family for the first three years of my life. At three years of age, then we pack up and we move and we leave them. So as I reflect that, reflect back on that, that was a hugely traumatic experience in my life that I've never, that I had never acknowledged until only several years ago. The impact of that and the disconnect that 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 created in my life and the detachments from my family, like they were all part of my family. So that was just like a break above family. And then you go to a home where my father's not absent or my mother's disconnected or. So there's a lot of things happening in the past. So I have to go back and revisit that 18-year-old self and understand that that guy's already in pain, that guy's angry, that guy's hurt, but understand that that guy did not mean to go out there and intentionally kill someone, especially somebody that he held in such high regard. And the lady who died, you know, we worked together. 
we did work together as I was working as a summer job in a shop in town. And we got on well. And I can still reflect back and I still see her smiling, laughing and joking with me and having those sort of conversations. And that in itself is painful because it's not just that I was responsible for debt, but I also lost a potential friend there as well. Someone who actually admired. So there was so much going on there. So, yeah, as I said, it's a process, but I'm a lot more compassionate with myself now because I go back and instead of just taking it at surplus level and saying, oh, Gavin, like, yeah, you're such such a dickhead going out there and doing something like that and driving that car too fast. And like, what did you like? What did you expect would happen? You know, something was about to give at some point because that's not the first time I drove that car too fast. And it's just this level of ignorance, but understanding that this level level of ignorance was embedded with anger or resentment or pain and trauma from the past too that I was completely unaware of at the time. So what that guy needs at 18 years of age was not a kick in the ass, but someone there to put his armor on his shoulder and say, Gavin, you know what? It's going to be okay. And you are good enough. You are strong. You are capable of a lot more than you think. And I believe in you and and also I understand that you didn't mean for this to happen because if you meant for it to happen, would it have caused so much pain and grief in your life for so many years afterwards? Are you able to exercise compassion with your daughter, with your wife? Yeah, I've got a son as well, Mason. And the son, yeah. So you're able to work it, give them compassion, yeah? Yes, that's been a practice in itself too. So understanding that Compassion as well is a very feminine trait. And I think over the years, aside from the car accident, I've been suppressing my feminine energy over the years because reflecting back on childhood and bullying and being the last to be picked for the football team and a lot of criticisms from other people because of the way I behaved or acted and understanding that I was heavily influenced by my mother and her energy because she was the main person in the house because my dad was absent. And I began to understand that that energy was not serving me. It was, it was creating problems in my life, was creating problems in my friendship, was creating problems in my relationship. So over the, over the years, I've been gradually suppressing that and suppressing the compassion, suppressing the sympathies, compressing empathy towards others and just trying to be this, I wouldn't say toxic masculine, but certainly an unhealthy masculine energy and imbalanced perhaps is a better word for it. So there was no balance there of feminine energy and masculine energy. And so if somebody was going through a struggle in their life, I wouldn't sympathize with their situation. I say, well, you know what? You got yourself into this shit storm. You know, it's your fault. So you take ownership of that now and you've got to get yourself out of it. Understanding too that I was speaking to myself in that situation because I got myself in that shitstorm with the carax and I say, okay, Gavin, you fucking created this shitstorm. It's your fucking problem. Then you've got to, you've got to sort this out. And of course, for 10 years of my life, more than 10 years of my life, I try to do it all on my own. And it's something I followed through then in my relations with other people. But as I said to you earlier, my daughter being born was quite a significant experience in my life. I was 26 at the time and emotionally immature and of course hadn't dealt with any of this trauma didn't know myself at all but her being born 
began to change my perspective on how to how loving myself can help me to love others and how being compassionate with myself will allow me to be more compassionate with others and understanding that my anger or my resentment is not going to serve her or anybody else. So she yeah, she was such an important person in my life at the time because understanding too that only a couple of months after she was born, I was working as a retail manager for a sports retailer here in Ireland, one of the main sports retailers. And the reason I was in that job was because I couldn't find a job in a gym or leisure center. There was recession time and jobs were scarce. So I had to, not that I had to, but I decided to take whatever I could get. And two months after she was born, I was made redundant. And over the course of a year, I was a stay-at-home dad. So that was a huge problem at the time, but also was a massive opportunity in disguise because, because I didn't have a job. Because I was her sole caretaker at the time, her mother, my wife, was working and she would go for a nap for a few hours every day. So I had time on my own. Now, for that period of time, I did indulge in porn. My porn habits probably hit its peak at that time. But then it got to the point where I said, okay, Gavin, you need to change direction here. You've got a responsibility here. You've got a commitment here. She needs you. She needs the best version of you. And you're not giving her that. And there'd be moments then that I even reflect back on today and you talk about forgiving yourself. There are moments with my daughter that I also need to practice some forgiveness because there were moments, and there were only moments, but there are moments that I remember where I would have got angry with her over nothing. I would have got so frustrated with her behaviors or with her not finishing her dinner or whatever it was. And I look back at that experience and say, fuck, I, you know, I, wish I, I wish I didn't do that. So again, to practice some forgiveness and compassion or in that situation because understanding that Gavin yeah you know that anger was embedded on on pain that you're unaware of at the time and of course having under, understood that now my daughter's 11 and I can see some of her behaviors and how she could maybe have a short fuse or short temper that could be puberty too but <laughs> it's uh but there's also there's also some behaviors there that I would identify as quite similar to my behaviors whenever I was her dad during those years. So I'm coming in now and I'm saying, okay, Ariana, you know, maybe this isn't the best way to deal with this struggle or can you talk to me about what you're feeling right now? So again, this is where my compassion for myself is now filtering over to her. And instead of giving out to her for behaving in such a way, which her mom often does so, but I'm trying to help her understand too, is I'll come in this, and if, if she's kicking the fuss or she's re- refusing to clean the house or tidy a room or whatever it is, typical things that kids do, I say, okay, Ariana, tell me what's happening. Is everything okay? Is there anything that you want to talk about or how are you feeling this time or what's what's causing this reaction or whatever? Just to come in there and approach her with an open heart and love, more so than approach her with criticism or judgment or some sort of punishment which is going to be counterproductive so yeah that's how it's began to show up in my fatherhood and my in my parenting and certainly my relationship to my wife and this all as i said comes back to me practicing that compassion and practicing that forgiveness within myself and that's why i'm so rigid and so consistent with my morning routine you know the 
first couple of hours in the morning, it's it's me time. It's my time. I've got to check in with myself. I've got to acknowledge how I'm feeling. If there's something that's lingering there beneath the surface, I need to bring it up and I'll write about it in a journal. I'll let it go or I'll change my perspective on it or I'll flip the narrative to some sort of way that will serve me. So I'm not going to be carrying it with me into the day dealing with the men I work with or dealing with my family, my, my children, my wife or friends or whoever comes. And of course, there's going to be challenges that come up in the day. So if you haven't dealt with your own challenges, those challenges of the life put in your way are, are going to compound and pot- potentially overwhelm you and into an action. So yeah, the morning routine and journaling has been has been huge. You were talking about how there were these moments sometimes when you were interacting with Ariana or even you know, even your son. And that's the thing. As humans, we don't remember days necessarily or even years, but we remember moments. And that's what we have to have. And the internal narrative that we have on ourselves, the way men speak to ourselves, we eventually will speak to those closest to us in that same manner. And we won't even fucking know it until it's already out there. And now we can't even bring it back because we've already lashed out. We've already had that negative interaction. We've already created that moment that is, we cannot take it back. And it doesn't mean we beat ourselves up. And it doesn't mean that we have to kick the shit off ourselves all the time when it happens, because it will happen. But at the same time, we have to understand that this wound that we're inflicting is going to bleed onto others and they will be collateral damage. If we don't have the courage, we don't have the balls, we don't have the honesty to look in figure out where we're at yeah your own self-destruction is going to create destruction in other people's lives and as you said it does it does filter on to other people and especially and usually it's on to the people you love the most unfortunately so i do that for myself yes in terms of the journaling and the self-reflection in the morning but i do it more so to become a better father a better husband a better man for the men I work with on a on a consistent basis, because yes, they come to me with their struggles, they come to me with their difficulties, and if I haven't processed my difficulties or my struggles yet, then how am I to serve them? And my energy is going to be off, which filters through onto their energy. I'm not going to be giving them my best service. I'm not going to be giving Ariana or Mason my complete love or compassion or my complete presence. Ultimately, so they're going to suffer too. Presence is, is something I've been certainly honing in on over the last few months and the importance of that because again we get distracted so easily with the phone work business other tasks and other jobs that ultimately when you look back probably look back in 20 years time when the kids are gone you think fuck you know that's all i had i only had 18 years 16 years maybe with with my kids and i just wasted that i didn't take those opportunities to cultivate a loving and healthy relationship with them. And now, you know, they're going out in the world and they're making decisions that they feel are, are best for themselves. But I haven't ingrained these disciplines or these lessons in them in their earlier years. And now they're going to possibly lose themselves in life with their own judgments or else taking on the narratives or taking on the influences of people who know no better, their friends or some YouTube sensation. Andrew Tate. Yeah, most of the, uh, especially for kids or even for employees or even our, our clients, the lessons are, are caught. They're not taught. They catch us doing something. And if we're claiming one thing and we're over here doing something else, what are we telling them? Well, first of all, we're telling them that you say one thing and do another. It's not octanon verb at that point. And we've all done it. But the main thing is, again, if, if that is the case, and I am being honest with myself, 
how am I going to make sure that I don't, how do I silo myself, one, so that it doesn't bleed out to others? And then two, if it is siloed in there and it's in me, it's going to get concentrated, eventually it bubbles out. So I have to do this work, whether it be, like you said, if it's journaling, meditation, mindfulness, going for a walk, working out, talking, yelling, fucking punching the, the top of the car, whatever it is, all those things have to be dealt with because it will fester and it will get bigger. And whether it be something that manifests into something that changes the lives of others and as well as ourselves, or whether it just be, again, we have 16 years with our kids, but we only have opportunities of moments within those years. And if we don't have that, if we're not willing to be present to those things, might as well not even have them. Yeah. As I said, that's the presence, but that's what gets me the most because you could be there for your children every day and at the same time, not be there with your children any day. Men are the most surrounded and yet lonely creatures in the world, I think. And we allow that to be the norm. So when you're coaching others, when you're coaching individuals, when you're coaching in groups, you're trying to get them to be around others, but help them understand that they are part of this tribe, this group. And that's what allows people to feel not only the ability to, to be vulnerable, the ability to receive compassion. How many men do we know that are like, oh, I'm compassionate to other people? But then it's like a power play. And then if somebody tries to be compassionate to them, they, they push it off or they want to be the person who doesn't need anybody. And they don't understand, again, not only how detrimental that is to themselves and their own development, but not that relationship. If you're being good to somebody, you're helping them out and they're trying to return the favor and they're in a position to genuinely do it. And you say, no, now you're, again, you're not acting in congruence with these ethos that we, you're claiming to have. But more importantly, now that person who feels that feeling of reciprocity, that feeling of success. When we give to others, they were saying that lots of times, like if I buy somebody's groceries for 50 bucks or buying gas, I feel just as good as that person does in so doing. If they're willing to accept it, there are some people that don't want that and that's fine. But this is where we can start to understand and being in a group dynamic, almost this gestalt kind of ideal, like what you're doing with your groups, I think that's very powerful. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, that acceptance establishes a connection with somebody and they're accepting that no matter what, you've got flaws, you've got fuck ups, you've got difficulties or traumas, you've, you've messed up in your life. Yeah. Well, I get it. I still accept you. And within that acceptance, there's connection. Whereas before, and I think this is a big thing for men and maybe for a lot of people in society is that because you haven't met or exceeded expectations from parents or teachers or people of authority in the past, people you would have looked up to, that's often met with, oh, we're disappointed in you. So therefore you ingrain that as you being a disappointment. Disappointment. You ingrain that as you not being good enough. You ingrain that as you not being lovable and not worthy of being accepted by others. So your self-belief goes through the floor. You kind of do you could use that to improve yourself and empower yourself to to become better. But at the same time, what are you doing it for? Are you doing it for them? Or are you doing it for yourself? Are you doing it because you want to receive love and affection and connection from them? And all the while you're becoming disconnected from your true self, from your core values, from what you want to do, just to fit into the system or fit into the ideals that they've set in your, set in your way. So I think this is something that's followed through for a lot of men in today's world because I think men especially are consistently ridiculed and criticized and judged on their performance 
more so than women are. Perhaps women sort of have their role set out for them when they're born, you know, and all things have changed. But you become a woman, you have children, you settle down, whatever, you've, you've got that. But then women are born and men are made, something like that there. I think I heard before. But these men are being made or created in the eyes of someone else or made or created through the expectations of someone else. And I think a lot of men today, especially a lot of men that I speak with, these men could be successful businessmen turning over six or seven figures a year, could have, it could be the CEO of a big organization. And they come to me and say, like, I've got all this. I've got the wife, got the kids, got the fancy car, got the money in the bank, got the prestige. But I still feel like a... Yeah, I'm fucking miserable. Yeah. I, I still feel like a child inside. Yeah, because you're still living in the ideals and the expectations of your parents. You're still longing for their praise and you're still being influenced by their judgments and criticisms because you feel like you've, you're letting them down. You're still on their puppet strings doing whatever mommy daddy wants you to do. So when we talk about not being in control of your life, and it's something I certainly can relate to as well, like not feeling in control of my life because when I speak about disappointments and speak about rejecting my core self, this was me. And report card after report card, coming back home saying, oh, Gavin's doing okay, but it could do better, could do better, could do better. So I'm thinking, okay, whatever I'm doing here is not good enough. I'm not good enough. I don't believe myself. I'm probably not going to be capable of achieving much in my life. And of course, you fall into the, the status quo, fall into society, fall into a, a retail job, retail manager's job. And you think that that's it. I'm on the career ladder now and this is it now. Until thankfully, I was made redundant. So again, these moments of difficulties and these moments of adversity offers huge opportunity. If I was never made redundant, I wouldn't be here speaking to you today. I wouldn't have had impacted over 100,000 people with a message. I wouldn't have helped over a thousand men improve their lives i wouldn't be in control of my life today so as i said when you don't feel in control of your life you'll seek that control in other areas through drinking through gambling through especially porn porn's a big issue and understanding yet yeah, porn has got certain attractions but i think for a lot of men as well it offers them control you can go on the porn site and you can click any button and watch whatever you want you can do whatever you fucking want on that on that on that site to please yourself and perhaps that's the only thing you feel like you've got control over in your life because everyone else is in control of what you need to do understanding that your parents or your mom's expectations of you becomes your wife's expectations of you your children's expectations of you and you feel like you've got no handle on life so Again, it's something I can relate to. As I said, I did have a porn addiction, if you want to call it that. Certainly, very very unhealthy be- behavior towards porn. Uh, it certainly consumed my life, so that probably would qualify as an addiction. But I think that was one thing for sure that I could do whatever I want there, and I don't. It doesn't. It doesn't matter what anybody else wants of me, or it doesn't matter what anybody else expects of me in this moment. I can do whatever I want in this site. And I can do this to please myself, to pleasure myself, to to feel good about myself. Because, of course, when you're not in control of your life and you feel under pressure from everyone else's expectations, it's a chaotic place to be. So, yeah, again, facing that adversity has been quite a significant process in my life as well. Not that this is just outside of the car accident. I've had to 
go back beyond that and address some of those difficulties too. But that's the truth. In this life, you either choose what you want or your life becomes a result of other people's decisions. And like you said, if we're allowing everybody else to make these other decisions, which we, we don't think they're big at the moment, it just seems like it's a small thing. But it's these small steps, these small things that incrementally take away. And now we start to feel suffocated. And now it's like, well, I'll do this job for now until I get the real job. And then you become accustomed to that lifestyle, that routine. Now you're too lazy to go out and look for the other stuff because you're, you're comfortable. Well, you're not comfortable, but you're not uncomfortable enough to change. And then you allow that to become the norm. And then what happens? You're attracted to other people that are in a similar situation. And now they're living compromised. They're living in mediocrity, but you're okay with that because you've already made that decision. So that one capitulation literally dictates the rest of your life if you're not aware of it, if you don't see how far reaching it can be. And so the men that you're working with, when you're telling them about how can do they get to that place? Because there's that, I, I don't like the word balance that, but there's that need to, to understand when I need to kick this guy in the ass or he needs to take accountability. But there's also this other side of the coin where it's like, listen, this guy is just tearing himself down. He's not giving himself peace. He needs to give himself some compassion. Where does that line lie and, and how does that work out? Yeah, certainly there's a level of accountability for your own actions and behaviors. And funnily enough, when we talk about making a change and facing an adversity, I, a lot of men reach out to me at the bottom of their pit or quite close to it anyway. So a lot of men will reach out to me when they're going through a breakup, could be a marriage or could be a, a breakup with a girlfriend. A lot of men will reach out to me when they're just completely overwhelmed with anxiety. A lot of men reach out to me when they've maybe been made redundant from a, a job where they felt they were going to spend the rest of their career in. So something quite significant happens in their life. And it's, as I said, that adversity offers an opportunity for them to perhaps address some of their, their difficulties. It brings a lot of this pain to the surface. And such as I've discovered is, is that, okay, you feel that your struggle right now is this breakup, you know, the ex-girlfriend or the ex-wife. You feel that that's your struggle right now. Or you feel that the struggle right now is that you're, that you've been made redundant or you've been fired. That's probably not the struggle but this experience right now is provoking some underlying trauma there that you have not yet addressed so for example when a man is going through a breakup and he's completely fixated on on the woman and the girl and maybe trying to want her back or gavin how can i get her back what should i do it's like look this is probably the best things ever happened to you so don't go fucking it up now by trying to get her back in your life this is giving you a huge opportunity to focus on yourself this is potentially the first time in your life where you've got space and energy and time to start looking at yourself and understanding okay first of all why did i get into that relationship second of all why am i so broken up about this relationship ending and what is that really associated with and as we go through the layers and we, we speak we speak through it, we'll understand that there's certainly something else beneath the surface that has provoked this pain. Maybe some loss in the past with a friend or a family member that they've just not yet processed. Maybe some difficult relationship or disconnect with their mother or their father. There's certainly something there that I say, okay, there, that's that's the pain. That's the source of your your difficulty right now. Great. 
you've discovered it. Okay, now we've got to work through this. Because if you don't, you're going to continue the same pattern to the next relationship. You're going to attract somebody similar into your life and it's going to end up in a similar situation. Many of these guys in these relationships, funny enough, when we reflect back in the relationship, it was quite toxic. But they they oversee that and they're hanging on to someone that clearly doesn't love them or is clearly using them or abusing them in some sort of way. But they're afraid to let them go because they're afraid again of being alone because being alone is going to bring some of these difficulties to the surface. But as I said, and I say to them, brilliant, this is exactly what you need right now. You're exactly where you need to be. And I'm here to guide you through this in order to ensure you don't repeat the same process going forward. So yes, taking accountability for their actions, not just their actions in terms of what they're doing after the breakup, but their actions in terms of, okay, what happened before she came into your life? And their actions or their reactions in terms of certain difficulties that came up in the relationship that maybe they swept on the rug and compromised their own happiness, their own needs, their own, want, their own wants in order to keep her on their side. So starting to change the perspective and say, well, yes, she was demanding or yes, she was critical of you, but yes, you continue to allow this to happen. Why is that? So again, taking accountability and then for, therefore, as I said, you bring it back to yourself. Fuck yeah, you know what? I did continue to make that happen. I did continue to compromise my happiness. Why am I doing that? Why did I continue to say sorry for something that I, I clearly wasn't in the wrong about? Why did I continue to run around like I had this chicken to make sure she was happy all the time? And therefore compromise my own wants, my own needs, and I've lost friends and I've lost the things I've loved just in order for her to love me. And now she's gone. And I said, yes, brilliant. Now you can start to bring those things back into your life. So yeah, accountability for your actions. And then, as I said, there's a level of compassion there as well, because as a, like my own process, they weren't aware of their behaviors or their actions and what was going on within them that influenced the relationship and the difficulties within it and the breakdown of the relationship ultimately. But now they've become aware of it and say, okay, now you know this. You need to use this in order to move forward towards something better in your life. Yeah, so they don't repeat it. And I even see that in, in businesses like CEOs, huge companies, all kinds of money. And yet they're literally reproducing that toxic relationship with this person that represents this other thing that they haven't made any kind of peace with. So if you have a weird relationship with money, whether it be positive or negative, or if you feel that people that have money are cutthroat, you're going to hire management, you're going to hire salespeople that work in that manner. But then all of a sudden, when the chips are down and you have you go head to head with them, now there's this, again, you've literally created this conflict, but you don't even, aren't even aware of it. And then we continue to go through that cycle over and over again. And then all of a sudden, again, no matter how well you're doing, there's always issues with that, or there's always issues with operations, whatever the case may be. But again, as Jerry Colonna says, in what way have I been complicit in these environments that I claim that I don't want? And if we have the ability to actually step back and just take that breath and even let that message hit us, now it gives us at least a chance to figure it out. Because many times, even when we build a great team around us or have a great relationship and have great kids around us and a great family around us until we're willing to be porous to that and let it in it's like it doesn't matter we might as well be deaf if we can't hear it right Mm -hmm. well what you allow is what will continue always 100 percent. 
So you're allowing this to continue, and if it's and you're allowing it to become your demise or your deconstruction of your life. So there's, and also within that, you also have the control to change it and taking full ownership of that instead of pointing fingers and blaming and say, well, I'm not where I want to be because of him. I'm not, you know, she's making me feel this way. So it's her fault. She's a bitch or uh, he's been too aggressive towards me and he's not playing ball. It's like, well, look, you're allowing this. Who's in control of your life here? You're just going to allow them to pull your strings or are you going to take ownership and deal with the situation in order to move forward? And of course, that's difficult. But I mean, if you make, what is it they say? Easy decisions equals a, a difficult life and difficult decisions equals an, an easier life. So yeah, something I live by. Gavin, where can we learn more about you? Where can we hire you as a coach, get a part of your groups? You have a, an event coming up as well, correct? Yeah, I've got a speaking gig coming up in September. I'll be posting more about that in my on my social media. And there's one in September in Dublin. And there's one in October in Galway, so in Ireland. So any of you Americans want to come over, <laughs> I'll accommodate them. Get a flight, come to Ireland. And yeah, I'm. you'll find me under Gavin Meenan pretty much everywhere on the internet. So I must be the only Gavin Meenan out there because... There's uh, it's Gavin Meenan on Facebook, Gavin Meenan on Twitter, Gavin Meenan on Instagram, Gavin Meenan on TikTok. All the things. And the name of the podcast again? The podcast is the Modern Warrior podcast. And yes, you were a, a brilliant guest on that as well. So if anyone hasn't listened to that, to that yet, certainly go check it out. There was huge value taken from that episode. So thank you, Marcus. I think there's huge value on what we discussed today. And thank you for your transparency and your courage and your honesty the only way to get where we need to go is to actually take a very good hard look at where we are and unless we know where the fuck we are on the map we can't go any direction that's worth going so thank you for doing that and for leading more men to do it and uh, it's been an honor to talk to you i appreciate it thank you marcus thank you for listening to this episode of octa Nonverba. if this message resonates with you please share it out with others on social media hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts to learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com and join his Octa Non Verba Inner Circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.